this morning, uh, I want to introduce my friend Holly, and I'm going to let her introduce her people. She's obviously going to tell her story, but it is one of redemptive love. Uh, really, we sang that song, Let It Be Jesus. It's a Jesus story. Uh, God gets glory. Uh, God works through lives and, and touches countless other lives. And uh, it's a story I think you need to hear, a testimony that you need to hear. Um, we really get to know people, and I know y'all don't know Holly and Jake and their family, but we get to know people through the ways God has taken situations that are difficult and worked his power in our lives and then we share it and we get to know people that way and we get to realize too that uh, it's this brotherhood and sisterhood of believers that is really powerful. You know, I I heard a lady come in uh, when I was pastoring in Alma years ago and she said to me, she said, I just don't think I can go to church here. And and y'all were there at the time too. And um, she said, uh, everybody's got all their lives together here and I don't. And man, I didn't laugh in her face, but inside I was like, oh dear, if you only knew, there ain't none of y'all or us that have all of our lives together. And we're all just these broken vessels that God has mended and made whole through his grace and his mercy and his love. And he holds us together and he carries us day by day and he loves us and he gives us victory. And it's all this God story. And that's what Holly's story is. And so uh, I want you guys to please pay attention and listen. We we are going, obviously we have this uh, live cast, but there's also a video we may uh, put on our, uh, on our Facebook page and website too if you want that one shared as well, uh, because I think it's a story you're going to want to share with friends and family and loved ones. And so, Holly, if you don't mind, would you please come up, and you can stand down here or up top, wherever you want, girl. Up top. Okay. Mike's telling you. <laughs> Hi. Can you hear me? Okay. Good morning. Let me get my notes out here. Probably won't even go off of them, but all right. So thank you for that introduction, Aaron. So my name is Holly O'Kelly, and um, when Aaron asked me to come and talk with you guys, um, I knew that despite my uh, extreme fear of public speaking, and um, even more so a fear of ugly crying in front of an entire church congregation that I just had to be here. So here I am, and um, this is just, uh, it's my testimony, and it is a testimony of God's goodness and grace in my life, um, despite a um, very sinful circumstance that took place when I was 14 years old. So, um, okay. So when I was 14, I got pregnant, and I remember sitting in the bathroom floor um, holding a positive pregnancy test in my hand um, right after my mom had um, made me take one. Um, and I remember thinking to myself that this, my life is over. Um, just being 14 years old, and at the time I was in ninth grade, so that's super young. Um, I've been going through some difficult times. Um, but yeah, so I was pregnant. And for a split second, I remember thinking my life is over. And the first thing that popped into my head was from the devil, of course. And it was abortion. And that was just straight up the devil telling me this is the easy way out. And no one could ever know that you have done this. 
And I sat there for a couple seconds. My mom had walked out of the room because, as you can imagine, she was beside herself. Um, but I just remember sitting there and a couple seconds going by and God just saying, what are you thinking? This is everything that you believe in. This goes against everything that you've been taught your entire life. And I, I, I truly believe, even though I feel bad for thinking it about the abortion, um, I think that was, um, it was just the devil and how he can, in a split second, um, get into your head like that. But that's just how he works. But um, God is bigger. And I'm so thankful for that. So I remember um, my mom calling the OBGYN's office and saying my daughter is a teenager and she just got a positive pregnancy test. And they immediately got me in. They were awesome. And it was the day that I found out I was pregnant was the same day that I heard my son's heartbeat for the first time. Where'd my Kleenex go? <laughs> okay. Um, so that just made it even more real to me um, and to my mom, too. Love you, Mom. So we didn't really know a whole lot about adoption. And, you know, I feel like a lot of people don't know. Um, you know, it's either, especially as a teen, um, keeping the baby or abortion. And it's kind of sad that that's what the options that people think they have out there. Um, but there is another option, and it is adoption. So um, they have different kinds of adoptions out there that a lot of people um, don't realize, or I say a lot. There's like two or three. Um, so there's closed adoptions, and there's open adoptions. And um, we went to a local uh, pregnancy support center in Fort Smith, um, a few days after where they educated us on um, adoption and gave us a book to take home and read over, which I don't think I ever read over it. I just didn't want to because I was kind of wanting to keep the baby at that time. But the more my family and I prayed about it, um, it just, I just had this peace about it and I knew that that was that was the way I had to go. Sorry. <laughs> um, so we started meeting with some families. My mom did everything. She's amazing. Um, and she set up a meeting with one family. And they were, um, they were awesome. Um, they had a little girl already. Um, and I knew that I wanted my child, my son to go to someone who couldn't have children themselves. And we left that family's house, and I liked them, but I just knew they weren't the ones. Turns out, my stepdad had a, a good friend of his whose brother and sister-in-law, um, Clay and Kimberly, had, around the same time, I found out I was pregnant, they had just found out that um, their last and final IVF treatment had failed and that they were going to be looking to adopt. So, um, not a coincidence, a God thing. Um, so, we ended up meeting with them at a 
little country cooking place down in Fort Smith. And we just, we talked, it flowed, it was natural. Um, I remember Kimberly talking to me about basketball because that is what I related to at the time. And she was just trying to make me feel like not a pregnant 15 year old girl at the time. I had just turned 15. Um, so I think I knew right then and there that I wanted Clay and Kimberly to be the adoptive parents. But I wanted to go home and pray about it and talk to my parents and just wanted us all to, it's a very serious decision to make. And I think we all knew. And um, after we talked to Clay and Kimberly and decided that we wanted them to be my son's parents, over the next few months, we, we hung out, we went to dinners, and they basically just gave me gifts and were amazing, did anything to make me feel um, normal, which was, I was far from normal at the time. One of the gifts they gave me was a necklace, and um, I remember... Here's the ugly crying part. <laughs> I remember them telling me that the diamond, it was just a single diamond necklace, and the diamond represented Sam, my son. And that every time I wore it, um, it was so that he could be close to my heart. Um, and that's just the kind of people they are. They're just amazing. So, um, like I said, we hung out and um, just got to know them better over the course of the next few months until... Uh, June 26, 2006 came around, and my parents drove me to the hospital to be induced. Um, we had it planned so that they could be there and there wasn't a surprise of, her, you know, water broke, come down. Um, so June 26 came, and I gave birth to a baby boy, Samuel Caleb, at 5.58 p.m., and... I remember the nurse trying to hand Sam to me um, right after I gave birth to him, but I was shaking uncontrollably. My body had been through a whole lot, so I asked the nurse to hand him to Kimberly, who was in there with me and my mom at the time. And a light just went off and her face was glowing and I had just given her a gift that she couldn't have herself naturally. And I just knew that I was just his vessel and I had just done what I needed to do. Um, and that was giving them a child. So over the next 24 hours or so, just staying in the hospital, um, Sam was able to come in and out of my room um, if I wanted him, of course, in there. Um, and, you know, I held him and I went in my family, um, to get to meet him and hold him. And the final day came and I remember the nurse coming in the room saying, you know, it's, it's time to go. And I was holding Sam in my bed and they helped me into my wheelchair and handed Sam back to me and wheelchaired or excuse me, and wheeled me out into the hallway where Clay and Kimberly were standing there with their bags, ready to go home. 
And I just, I remember having to hand my child over to them. And it was in that moment that God just, I just had this overwhelming peace just come over me. And it was God telling me that everything was going to be okay. That I have fulfilled my duty um, in providing this family with with a very special gift. And um, we left the hospital, and I remember looking out the window on the way home, because I was 15, I couldn't even drive yet. And it was, I just had this peace, I can't even explain it. It's, it's the peace that, that only God can give you. Um, and I just, I thought to myself, this is a fresh start for me. And this is a new start for Clay and Kimberly and Sam in starting their life together. And um, my testimony is just one of many. And it's just a testimony of God's goodness and grace in my life. And to prove that, I am now married to my husband who's my best friend. And I have two little girls. I love the fire out of them, but they're exhausting. <laughs> um, but it just goes to show that, guys, God is so good. He's so good, and um, he provides in areas that you think are impossible. And he turned my sin and what I did into this beautiful testimony and um, I'm so grateful, so grateful every day for that. Um, anyway, so that's my testimony, and um, I want to say that you never know who you're going to come across, um, whether it be a teenage girl or a single mom or just, just anyone, but I want you to know that um, I love to help people in these situations. Um, I have before, and I would love to do it again. So if you come across someone or know someone um, that doesn't know a whole lot about adoption or is considering abortion, please, um, you can like me, or not like me, follow me on Facebook, or just find me somehow. Erin knows how to get a hold of me. And I would love to, um, I would love to be a light in someone's life and tell them my testimony in person or over the phone or whatever I need to do. So um, I just want to say thank you guys for having me. And here's Aaron. But hey, can we give God a hand and thank Holly? You did so good. I'm so proud of you. Holly's mama handed me a Kleenex that I was going to go up and take to Holly, but I didn't know. I thought I better save that for me right there. Uh, I'm not going to preach a, a sermon, and y'all can all say amen to that. But um, You know, I said it was a story of redemptive love. And, uh, you know, Samuel's parents are here today, and you think about this, guys, since 
January of 1973, uh, in the court decision of Roe versus Wade, Holly telling that just for that moment that Satan had really planted a thought, a lie into her head about aborting a baby. And since that, which has been almost 50 years ago now, since that case happened, uh, well over 60 million lies have been told by the enemy to young women and, and families. And, um, you know, I got to, we, we were re-watching Holly's story, Jennifer and I were the other night, and um, uh, a lot of us, and you may not be one of those, and if so, maybe you count yourself fortunate or maybe you weren't where you needed to be, I don't know, but a lot of us have come face to face with those who are uh, in an unwanted pregnancy. And um, another friend of ours um, who uh, is not here this morning, uh, I preached a message, I don't know, maybe maybe 11 years ago now. It doesn't seem like it could be like that. but And it was really just slam abortion. Abortion's bad, you know, those type of things. And um, after the message, a lady came up and said, um, I just want you to know that I've had an abortion. And she said, I live with the, the guilt and the shame of that every day. And she and I sat down, and man, we talked, and I cried with her and prayed over her. And God did something in my heart that was really something that I had, this is hard to believe, but something that I had not considered before. That in our midst, a lot of the time, we have those who have sinned in different ways. And we, I think, in the churches like to put these pedestal sins up here that these things are the worst things, and they're unforgivable. And what happened that day is that God opened a door into my heart and made me realize, listen, in our midst, we never know the audience to whom we speak. We never know who will hear Holly's story and could save their life. And um, we don't know Chastity's story. And Chastity, uh, through this, you know, Holly spoke about a pregnancy support center. Um, and I support and have been to meetings and, and been in the facility and talked to those folks in Fort Smith, the uh, Fort Smith Pregnancy Help Center. Um, you would think people would come to a church, but guess what? A lot of times people won't come to a church because there's a lot of judgmentalism and there shouldn't be uh, because we're all sinners that have been saved by grace. And we're all people that should be extending grace, but we often, we, we, uh, we fail in that. And Chastity, through this, started volunteering at the Fort Smith Pregnancy Help Center and was on a journey of healing. And what happened over the course of time, Chastity shared testimony, there was more testimony shared, is that there were four women in our small congregation at Southside Baptist in Alma that came to me and said, I had an abortion at one point in my life and just, you know, I'm not a priest, you don't have to confess things to me, I've had a lot of that happen, but... Uh, they wanted somebody to know, somebody that wouldn't judge them and somebody that maybe would help them. And um, you pray with those folks and you let them know that God's love is unconditional. And maybe somebody does need to hear that today. That God loves you in the good and the bad and the happy, the sad, the dark, the light, the horrible mistakes, or even when you're up on the mountaintop and great victories happened in your life. 
And he is such a forgiving God. And I, I'm taken to the story of John where uh, this, this woman was caught in the act of adultery and she was pulled out. I mean, if she had clothes on or if she had just grabbed a sheet maybe and was trying to cover herself, in utter humiliation was pulled out into this square out where Jesus was. And these religious leaders, which again you would think, man, religious leaders would be the ones who would offer grace and love and mercy. They're the ones that orchestrated the deal and they threw her there like an object before Jesus. And people were gasping, you can imagine, in shock and awe. What is this? She did what? And they said, we've caught this woman in the act of adultery. What are you going to do with her? And they were testing Jesus to see if he would have her stoned to death because she were caught in this act of adultery or if he would break the law and do something else. And Jesus I love it. We don't know what he was writing. It doesn't say specifically, but he, he knelt down in the sand. And he was writing something, and he said, who here is without sin that would cast the first stone? I mean, these people, some of them were ready for blood. And rocks dropped, and the whole crowd wound up leaving. And Jesus said to this girl, he said, uh, where are those who condemned you? And she said, who are those that condemned you? And she said, it's no one. No one's left. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. He said, go out and sin no more. And you know that she sinned. I mean, we all sin. Sins of omission, sins of commission. But what you see in this is this. Jesus didn't look at a person's shame. He saw a person that was created in his Father's image, that he came, that he was on the mission to go to the cross to die for. And guys, there's not a single soul out there when we talk about life that God doesn't want to give, not just life to. If we're breathing, he's given us life already, but eternal life to through his Son. There's nobody so bad and so far off and in that deep of a gutter that Jesus can't still heal, still heal them and help them through this. And so... Today when we think about life and we think about the many ways, the sanctity of life, which is really just another way of saying um, we respect the life that God gave human beings. He gave us that life in his image. Jesus died for us to be broken from the curse that has marred that image of God in humanity. There's not a single one of us that are so good or, or beautiful or or. or strong enough that we say we deserve God's grace and mercy, but yet we're recipients of it. And we're supposed to be sharers of that grace and mercy. And so we think about how life is abused through abortion, through euthanasia, through human trafficking, through elder abuse, through uh, rape, through kidnapping, through murder, through so many different ways. And we proclaim as a church and as Christians, that life is valuable. Now, it, it, it matters because it's not just statistics about how many people were gunned down in Chicago this last weekend or how many people died in the earthquake in Asia or whatever it is because we just typically think, man, oh, that's, that's terrible. And then you turn around and you do your thing. But it makes us look at it because if it's somebody that you know if it's somebody that you have 
had grace your lives or touch your lives or that you went to school with or that you care about or that your neighbor or that sat in the same pew with you at church, then it gets different. And God wants us to think about them to the ends of the earth as these that are here that we know and love and to actually do something about that. And so I don't have magic words to say how we can end abortion. I do know that Jesus tells us in 1 Corinthians 6 that, uh, do you not know that you were bought with a price? That you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, therefore honor God with your body? I know that's valuable. But I also look back to the first of that passage, and he says, flee from sexual immorality. And one of the things we don't talk about, we almost laugh about today, is... And people know it's wrong. Uh, I was talking to a lady last night, and she said, my daughter, and she said she lives with her boyfriend, and I know that's not right because they know I'm a preacher. And they're like, you know what? Yeah, I mean, we obviously know that's not right, but they always have to add that little bit to it. But she, and we know that sexual immorality is wrong, but how many lives would be saved if we just honored that command from God? You know, stories would be different. But here's the beautiful thing. Joseph said to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Romans 8, 28 and eight twenty nine says that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. So he takes all the shame, the guilt, the darkness, the evil, the bad decisions, and he takes that for his glory, and he brings such good out of it that there is life and hope. And guys, we need to be sharing that message. It's not enough for us to know it in our head. It also takes some bravery and courage like Holly exhibited and being able to share it. It's an unpopular truth. A lot of people don't want to hear it. A lot of times abortion or adoption or any deal think, dealing with life is not talked about in churches of all places. And yet we need to show, yes, we, we admit that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but what glory that is that can take any, any one of us and do something even greater. And so we need to live that, guys. We need to believe with all of our hearts. I want to pray this morning. And more than just me praying, here's what I want to do. I would like you, I don't always do this, and you know that, but to grab the hand of somebody beside you. I don't know, we're in COVID uh, times, so you might be scared of that. But there's Germex on the way out, okay? You just don't, don't lick your fingers. Don't kiss their hand. No kissing, okay? That's just... You feel that? I want you to squeeze the hand for just a second. Maybe there's a heartbeat that you can feel pulsing. As you hold it for just a minute, you probably feel that. That is a precious life that God made in his image. That is a precious life that Jesus died and suffered the horrendous atrocities of the cross for. And that's a life that God's called you to love. Your Father in heaven so loves you that he gave his only begotten son. Holly gave her son a picture of what God did. Only God's son was sinless. He was the long-awaited Messiah He was the perfect Lamb of God. But sacrifice was involved with His love for us. And guys, for love to be real, I really do believe that it involves sacrifice. For the prayer and fast that we've just gotten done with, it's involved sacrifice. 
cost you something to live this way. Maybe you lose friends on social media. Maybe you uh, lose a promotion at work because you speak the truth and you live as a Christian where you work. Maybe somebody calls you names or makes fun of you because you're a Christ follower. Man, anything that's persecution in this life that you've done to love other people, that you've done out of truth, that you've done to glorify God, God is a redeeming God. He'll take that and he'll honor you more than you've ever honored him. Man, we, we mourn and wail at the loss of life. I know that it's become a woman's right issue, but the question is, is it more than just a woman's life that's involved in this? And I want you to answer those hard questions because unless you do, you won't live out of conviction. I can, a preacher can tell you what the Bible says, but unless you believe and know these things, you're not going to stand up and fight for them. Is it the government's right to tell us what's right and wrong? Should the church get involved? Do we have an obligation to stand up for life as a church and as Christians? Where's our place in this? Where's your place in this whole matter of life? You know, we're, we're to stand for truth, but the motivation for truth that we stand for is always love. And God, I pray that you'd pour down your love for us this morning. Just open our hearts and our eyes. Man, we heard a story that has had ripple effects throughout time and touched families. It's touched a mom and a dad and a sister. It's touched uh, a family that has now got this little boy and he's theirs. It's touched a husband that would come along and serve in much of a role like Joseph did. And there's so much mercy and grace poured out in their story. And there's a lot of other stories like that here and that we'll hear in times to come. Those are all things, Lord God, that we return glory to you for. We ask right now, Father, that the mistakes that we've made, that we wouldn't make them worse by listening to the enemy, but that we would do the right thing and follow you, even if it means embarrassment and humiliation and public shame, even if it means being branded as something, that we would still carry it out to the ninth month, to the ninth year, to the end of our life. And that you would be so honored through it, Lord God. We just want, we want to be a body of people this morning, Lord God, that honor you. And we pray, Lord God, that we would so be honored by you, that there's no mistaking that we belong to you. And we just thank you for Jesus. It's because of him this morning it's possible, that life is possible, and that you're so faithful and good. And we end this all, Lord God, with holiness. Because, Lord God, it is your holiness that chooses us, that sets us apart, that still loves us no matter what we've done. Your love that's patient and long-suffering with us. Your love that holds us in moments where it's complete darkness around us and we feel isolated and alone. It's your love, Lord God, that encourages us to get up each day. It's your love that pushes us to obedience. And it's your love, Lord God, that flows through us to love anybody else because we'd never know love if you hadn't loved us first. So grow this love in us and make us these people, Lord God, that you honor, that you're proud of. 
Let us be trophies of your grace. We ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.